So how's the day treating everyone? There was at least one fantastic out there. It's always nice. It's always nice when there's one of them. There's two? There's more than one? Lots of awesomes. Well, tonight we're going to be in Ezekiel 36. So in Ezekiel 36, again, we're in the section of Ezekiel that's focused on the return of Israel to the land, the return of the exiles. Now, the exiles are still in exile. They're going to be there 70 years. They haven't left. They're not going anywhere yet. But God, through the prophet, I know sometimes when we read the prophets, we think everything's bad news all the time. And sometimes it is. I mean, there's bad news for the Lord to deliver, isn't there? Are we wrapped up in our sin? Yeah. Do we need to repent? Yes. We need to confess that and be right with God? Yeah, we do. If we don't do it, is there judgment that will come? Yep. All those things are true. But that's not all there is. There is also the promise that God has a future. We oftentimes put a verse up on our fridge, right? We put Jeremiah 29, 11. A lot of people like that verse. I know the thoughts that I have towards you. Says the Lord, thoughts of good and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. But we have a tendency to take it all out of context. Keep in mind, the context is families destroyed. Women in one stack chained together with a bunch of other women. Men in another line chained together with a bunch of men. The conquerors don't care what family you're in. They could care less. Kids in another line. If you say, well, that doesn't really happen, you should watch the videos of them taking Jews to the concentration camps. They could care less who was in what family. They divide them up. They chain them up. And they begin the long walk from Jerusalem to Babylon. And on the way, Jeremiah stands out by the people and he says, I know the thoughts that I have toward you. Thoughts of good and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. Many times when we discipline our children, we say things like, this is going to hurt me worse than it hurts you. And when you're... When you're young, you don't understand it. You know, when you do it, you will. But discipline is a necessary part of a person's life. It's how we learn to be productive people as a part of society as a whole. But for our purposes, it's, it's how we learn to be believers, followers of Christ. We put our hand where it ought not be and somebody slaps it. And then we pull our hand back and we can either focus on, oh, that was mean, or I'm not going to put my hand there anymore. That's the lesson, right? We pull our hand back. The Lord said, I have a plan for you. I have a purpose for you. My thoughts for you guys in chains being drug away is not for your destruction. My thoughts for you is to give you and the generations after you hope. That's why you're going to Babylon in chains. Now, when we endure something like that, it's hard for us to hear God. All we want to hear is our pain or our sorrow or our anger or our bitterness or whatever other voices are loud in our ear. And in fact, if you stand there and start to say something from the Bible, people usually get irritated, don't they? 
They say things like, don't tell me God has a plan. That's not helpful. But it's a good reminder to remember. In the middle of it all, when everything's falling down and it's ending different than you thought, God's still on the throne. He is still Lord. He is still King. And none of us can supervent his purpose. You're not going to squash what God's trying to do. He'll do it. You, you may not be involved, but he'll do it. He will accomplish all his will. Doesn't the word declare that? The Lord will accomplish all his will. And so in 36, you have the Lord saying to the, through Ezekiel, to the refugees in a refugee camp, Jerusalem is plundered, the temple is destroyed, all their hope they think is gone. And God's going to start telling them, 36, 37, 30, all the way to the end of Ezekiel, God's going to start telling them, I have a future for you. Now, you and I, maybe as history buffs, did Israel have a future? Sure. Right? Was there an Israel again, or did it cease to exist at Babylon? Nope, there was an Israel again, right? The exiles came out, they rebuilt, they built the temple. In fact, the Lord God Almighty visited that temple, didn't he? He overturned the tables, he chased out the money changers, and ultimately presented himself as Mashiach Nagid, the Messiah, the prince. Where did that all happen? In Israel. In the Israel that the people thought was over. And there was a generation that they were right. That generation's time was done. That generation was going to die in Babylon. And when you die in Babylon, you have a couple of choices. You can be bitter and angry at God because you're going to die in Babylon. Or you can prepare the next generation. So they're able to stand. And ultimately, that's what the people in the refugee camps, that's, those are the choices they'll make. Now the refugee camps, I don't know the numbers, and probably there's a book somewhere that actually gives me real numbers. But I know that when the people left the refugee camps, so they're all these people, probably a large group, right? The, old, the amount of people, and they're going to have children, 70 years are going to be there. The Lord says, marry, have children, build families, make, make yourself a life. Increase, don't decrease. That's what he tells them in Babylon. When they leave, 5,000 are going to go back. And everyone else is going to stay in Babylon. And you should ask yourself, why? And the answer is, their hearts were always in Babylon anyway. Remember, why did the Lord put them there? Idolatry. They didn't want to follow God. They didn't want to serve God. They didn't want to walk with God. And so he put them in a place where he wasn't the God. There's lots of other gods. They could pick and choose whatever God they wanted. But he also provided them a faithful prophet to share with them the truth of God's word, right? So the Bible is always going to use this phrase when it talks about this. It's going to talk about the remnant. The remnant are those who in captivity or in bondage or in trial or tribulation or suffering say, I'm going to try to prepare the next generation generation. 
because it's probably not going to be me that goes. Daniel, when he read Jeremiah, said, we're going to be here 70 years. If we're going to be here 70 years, I know as a 57-year-old fellow, I am not leaving this place. But it doesn't mean I'm supposed to quit. The Lord said, increase, don't decrease. Raise up godly men and women who will continue. 5,000 go, rebuild the temple, and reestablish the nation of Israel again. So here, the Lord is going to begin for us in Ezekiel 36, talking about the return to the Lamb. He says, Now you, son of man, prophesy to the mountains of Israel and say, O mountains of Israel, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, because the enemy has said, Aha, the ancient heights have become our possession. So here the Lord is going to give an indictment on the nations. The nations surrounding Israel. The Lord's going to say, look, I used you as the, the, the instrument of judgment upon the people. But I didn't give you the land. And the Lord's going to say, that land is mine. There was the Canaanite people there before Israel. And the Lord told Abraham, if you remember, he said, your people are going to sojourn in a land that's not their own, and they'll be there 400 years. Why? Because the sin of the Canaanites is not yet complete. They hadn't been thrown out of the land yet. Now, the Lord knows their hearts have turned away from him. He's going to send them out of the land, but it didn't happen yet. So the nation of Israel waited. Now here you have people, the other nations saying, hey, this land is ours. And the Lord says, no, it's not. And I'm going to show you that it's not. He says, therefore, prophesy and say, thus says the Lord God, precisely because they made you desolate and crushed you on all sides so that you became the possession of the rest of the nations. You became the talk and evil gossip of the people. Therefore, O mountains of Israel, hear the word of the Lord God. Thus says the Lord God to the mountains and the hills, the ravines, the valleys, the desolate wastes, and the deserted cities, which have become a prey and a derision to the rest of the nations all around. Look, the Lord's attitude is, you brought shame and destruction. You crushed the people from all sides. Now here's what he's talking about. When the nation is conquered, people run to the mountains. Not everyone is taken in captivity. The city is destroyed. Jerusalem wiped out. The temple destroyed. But there's still people. And the Lord is saying, you abused all those refugees, all those people. You crushed them on the mountains. You made their life miserable. The Lord is saying to those who surrounded the nation of Israel. In Amos 8.4, listen to what he says. <clears throat> he says, hear this, you who trample on the needy and bring the poor of the land to an end. That word trampled and the word crushed in Ezekiel, same word. This is, this is what's going on. God's not saying you crushed the mountain. You know, the mountain's not crushed. If you go to Israel, that mountain probably is not any lower than it was back in the days that these guys came. But the refugees, they made their life miserable. And so the Lord says, look, you took this. You decided the land was there. So a refugee gets himself a little place and he plants a crop and he starts, but he has no nation to protect him. 
So then a neighboring nation comes over and says, hey, thank you for growing me a bunch of wheat. That happens, right? What happens in, in the Sudan when we would take food to the Sudan? You know that the, the guerrillas, the people there fighting and starving the people out would take the trucks, right? They take them. And then they sell it or eat it themselves. Because oppression is not new. That's something in the heart of men. That's something that the Spirit of God wants to drive out of men. But that, nonetheless, is, is happening today, and it happened then. And so this is what the Lord says. He says, listen, surely I have spoken in my hot jealousy against the rest of the nations, against all of Edom, remember that's the cousins of Israel, against all of Edom, who gave my land to themselves as a possession with wholehearted joy and utter contempt, and they, that they might make its pasture lands a prey. So utilizing what people might be left. Therefore prophesy concerning the land of Israel, say to the mountains and the hills, the ravines and the valleys, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I have spoken in my jealous wrath, because you have suffered the reproach of the nations. Therefore I swear the nations that are all around will themselves suffer reproach. So the Lord says, look, I'm going to bring judgment on those nations for what they have done. Part of the restoration of Israel is the concept that God brings justice. Who brings it? God brings it. Why does God do it? Because he knows what he's doing. Do you know what you're doing? I don't know what I'm doing. I think I know sometimes, and then later on I find out I didn't know. Sometimes I think I know what's going on, and then I find out, nope, I had no idea what was going on. Every parent who has adult children knows this. Because there's a day that occurs when all your kids are over at the house, and they sit down and talk about all the things they did you didn't know about. And you say, really? I was that dumb? I was that lame? I didn't... I didn't there are so many things. My boys get together. I just say, don't, stop talking. Stop. I still like you right now. So it's probably good if you just stop talking and I just, let me live in my fantasy world where your childhood was okay. So that we see this, right? We see these. We don't know. God knows. So God is going to judge the nations because he is able. He is Lord. Are you Lord? No, neither am I, right? We, we. We serve the Lord, but he's the king. And so he is going to bring about justice for Israel. It says, but you, O mountains of Israel, you will shoot forth your branches, yield your fruit to my people, and they will soon come home. Now, it was funny. I was talking to a brother the other day, and, and uh, they were saying, well, how long until the Lord does this thing? And I said, well, the Bible says, this is, don't go crazy on me. Don't send me a bunch of letters. Just, just listen to the point. The Bible says, well, to the Lord, a thousand days as a thousand years as a day, and a day is as a thousand years. So as far as the Lord's concerned, it hasn't been that long yet. The Lord says of the nation, look, they're soon going to return. They're not going to return for 70 years, but the Lord says soon they're going to return. They're going to God's time and our time is a little different. And this is an important thing for us to kind of get in our minds. 
the older folks who are here, get this in your mind. We need to start thinking multi-generationally. We need to stop thinking about just us. Now, I prefer to think of just us. I prefer to think of it's almost time for me to retire, whatever that means. It's almost time for me to, to you know, live a happy life and stop going out with all the kings to battle every day. But the reality is we need to think beyond us. What's best for the next generation? How do, we, how do we lay the groundwork for them? What about the generation after that? Not just our children, our children's children and our children's children's children. And if the church doesn't begin to think multi-generationally, we're going to lose it all. We need to be engaged in that. And that requires all of us. No one person can do it. No matter what we all think, no one person can solve all the issues or all the problems. We, we create for ourselves illusions that we think is meeting a need. But what we need is one another, right? To think beyond ourselves. How do I help next generation? And that generation, and that generation. Listen to what the Lord says in verse 9. For behold, I am for you. That's good news, right? The Lord says, I am for you. Now he's talking to the land of Israel. So he's saying to the land, look, I, I'm looking out for you. I am for you. I will turn to you and you shall be tilled and sown. In other words, the land is going to become fruitful again. Now, this is to refugees sitting in a refugee camp, right, in a little hut made out of grass. They, maybe they had a nice house in Jerusalem once, but now they don't. But the Lord is saying to them through Ezekiel, look, I am for the land, and the land will be sown again. The land will be fruitful again. Listen, not only will it be fruitful, look at verse 10. I will multiply people on you, the whole house of Israel, all of it. That's important. How many are in Babylon? If you pay attention, there's only two tribes. Judah, Benjamin. Where's the rest of the tribes? They call them the ten lost tribes of Israel. They're not lost. They're just not with Judah. The lost tribes, the ten northern tribes, were conquered by Assyria. And they left behind the poor. Those people became the Samaritans. You've heard of them, right? Which weren't very popular with the Jewish people when they returned. And the rest, they are taken by Assyria into Assyria, which eventually is conquered by Babylon. And they bring all their captives where? To Babylon. And where'd they bring the southern kingdom? To Babylon. So what's the Lord say? I'm going to bring all of you back. No matter where you've been scattered, the whole nation is going to come back under one name. No matter where, look, I will multiply the whole house of Israel, all of it, every tribe. The cities will be inhabited. The waste place is rebuilt. So everything destroyed is going to stand back up. And I will multiply on you man and beast, and they will, be, they will multiply and be fruitful. Were there wealthy people in the land of Israel at the time of Christ? Sure. Were there people that were doing well? Was the nation as a whole good? Was it, was, had it, was it a big nation? Sure, it was grown. 
It was grown. They were still under the thumb of, uh, of Rome, right? But those are some of their own choices, isn't it? They kept having this guy from Greece pick on them, Antiochus Epiphanes. Every time he walked by Jerusalem, he picked a fight with them. So Jerusalem was looking for help, you know, the same way they were looking for help against Babylon. And the, so they called Egypt, and the Lord said, Egypt can't help you. I'm the only one who can help you. But in this case, when the Greeks were pecking on them, they called out to a young, upstart nation named Rome. So Rome helped them out against Greece and never left. There they were. So you see, the Lord says, I'm going to rebuild you. Now, under Roman rule, did the city flourish? For sure. Was everything built up? Absolutely was. It absolutely was. Then you will know, the Lord says, I will cause you to be inhabited like you were in the former times, and I will do more good to you than ever before, and you will know I am the Lord. Then you will know. It's the same thing he says when he brings judgment. Then you will know I am the Lord. The Lord says the same thing when he brings blessing and when he brings discipline. Then you will know I am the Lord. Who's in charge? It's not me. It's the Lord. He says, you'll know I bring discipline. You'll know I am the Lord. I'm going to bless you and you will know I am the Lord. All the way back in the book of Deuteronomy, didn't the Lord shout out from the top of the mountains blessings and cursings through the priests? He said, if you're obedient, blessings. If you're disobedient, Cursings, that in other words, there will be blessing if you obey and there will be judgment if you disobey. There will be discipline. And so here the same, he's saying, look, now you'll know I'm the Lord when I bring that blessing. I will let people walk on you. He's talking to the mountains. I will let people walk on you, even my people Israel, and they'll possess you and you will be their inheritance and you shall no longer bereave them of children in other words, it's not going to be the land against the nation. It's going to be the land unified together with, with the nation, with the people. <clears throat> you will no longer bereave them, thus says the Lord God, because they say to you, you devour people, you bereave our nation of children. Therefore, you shall no longer devour people, no longer bereave your nation of children. So this is something the people said against the land. This is not a good land to live in because, look, our children all died. But the Lord says, oh, they're not going to say that anymore when I bring them back into the land. They're not going to blame the land for what's going on. Listen to what he says, verse 15. And I will not let you hear any more reproach of the nations. No longer bear the disgrace of the people. No longer cause the nation to stumble, declares the Lord God. Cities are going to come back. They're going to be rebuilt. Things are going to be returned. Now, God's going to give revelation about their return. And he's going to give them some reminders that we want to remember, okay? So here's the revelation. God's revelation concerning their return. Number one, remember why you were scattered. I'm going to bring you back to the land. Don't forget. Don't forget why. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, when the house of Israel lived in their own land, they defiled it by their ways and their deeds. Their ways before me were like the uncleanness of a woman and her menstrual impurity. So I poured out my wrath upon them for the blood they had shed in the land, for the idols with which they had defiled it. 
So there's two things that the land is judged for. The destruction of innocent life and idolatry. So murder and idolatry pollute the land and cause God to bring his judgment, which ultimately is God kicking them out of his land. So he says they're like a, a woman in her menstrual impurity. What he's talking about is there's blood in the land. How, how was it that a, a woman, they knew a woman was, was impure? The Lord said when, she's, when she has her period, she's impure. She's going to get the rest. Men, stop chasing her around. Leave her alone. That's what God said. How do they know? Because she was bleeding. How does God know the land is unclean? Because there's blood in the land. When Cain killed Abel, what did the Lord say? Cain, where's your brother? Cain says, am I my brother's keeper? The Lord says, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. So that was one murder. How much crying goes on now? The blood cries out to God. So he says in verse 18, I poured out my wrath upon them for the blood they had shed, for the idols that had defiled it. I scattered them among the nations that they were dispersed among the countries in accordance with their ways, their deeds. I judged them. Who's the judge? God. So God judged them, right? He brings his judgment because there was blood in the land. But when they came to the nations, wherever they came, they profaned my holy name. In that people said, these are the people of the Lord that had gone, uh, and yet they had to go out of the land. So there was two things, the pollution of the land from murder and idolatry, and secondly, it profaned God's name, the way they behaved. It, it, Jesus said when he came, there was, there was something he wanted to do. He spoke the words that glorified the Father. He did the deeds that glorified the Father. That should be the life of every believer. Our desire is only say words that glorify God. Think about that next time you start to speak. Second, we should only do things that glorify the Father. That's the example that Christ gave. The, the, the judgment against Israel is that because of their behavior, the nations profaned the name of God. In other words, God got a bad name because of their behavior, the things they did, and the things that God uh, did in judgment from them. So he's going to tell them, why am, I, why am I letting you back in the land? First, remember why you got kicked out. Second, remember why you are returning. Verse 21, but I had concern for my holy name, which the house of Israel had profaned among the nations to which they came. Therefore say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, it's not for your sake. Was it because they were good in the land? Was it because of their repentance? Was it because of... Their great attitude, that's not what the Lord says. The Lord says, therefore, say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned, which you have profaned among them, so that the nations will know that I am the Lord. So the Lord says, I'm bringing you back in the land so the nations will know I'm in control, not them. They would have never let anyone go. 
They would have never turned loose their slaves. They would have never set anyone free. It is the Lord that does the work. It is the Lord that opens the door. And the nations will know, I am the Lord, declares the Lord God. When through you I vindicate my holiness before their name, I will take you from the nations and gather you from all countries and bring you into your own land. So God does this after the exile in Babylon, and he is doing this after the exile from Rome. It's not the first time, but there will be a last time God gathers his people together. This is all about the Lord's name, Lord being faithful to the promise that he made. Now listen to what he promises the people. He said the people, it's not because of you, it's not because you're good, it's not because you you guys were so wonderful and I, you know, you were the perfect children after I disciplined you. No, they're just like everybody else. Over and over and over again, the Bible never says that the nation of Israel somehow behaves better than everyone else. No, they're just like you. That's why the Lord said in Jeremiah, the heart of men is desperately wicked. So what does God say he'll give them? So I will give you a new heart. Look at verse 25. He says in verse 25, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean. The Lord is saying, I'm going to cleanse you. Does he say, you're going to cleanse yourself? He doesn't say, you're going to cleanse yourself. I'm going to give you the water and the soap so you can clean off all that filth. What does God say? I'm going to clean you. I'm going to wash your sin away. This is the first part of God's promise of regenerating the hearts of the people. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean from your uncleanness and from all your idols, I will cleanse you. God says, this is something I will do. I will do. I love the psalmist. He declares in Psalm 51, 7, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. David knew there's only one way for me to be clean and it's not going to be sacrifices because, you know, there was no sacrifice for the sin he had committed. There's not a sacrifice for murder. You guys look it up when you have time. There was not a sacrifice for adultery. It's called sinning with a high hand. That's why David makes a declaration against you, Lord, and you only have I sinned. He's saying, I stand guilty and condemned before God, and I can't cleanse myself. So he asked God, purge me with hyssop. Hyssop was how the blood would be sprinkled by the priests. Hyssop was how water would be used in the ceremonial cleansing um, in the temple. So he says, purge me, Lord. You purge me with hyssop. When Jesus was on the cross, the Bible says that they dipped something in water, a sponge. And they lifted up to the Lord that he might be able to drink from it. Purge me with hyssop. He says in Psalm 51.10, Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. The only, the only hope any of us have, we don't cleanse ourselves, we don't purify ourselves, we surrender ourselves to a holy God who does it. He cleanses me. 
And this is what David cried out for. Create in me a clean heart. Listen to verse 26 of Ezekiel 36. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I often have to pray this prayer. Well, not because I think I've lost my salvation, but sometimes my heart gets hard. Do you ever get a hard heart? You get a hard heart toward a person or a situation or a thing, and I got I to gotta just fall down before the Lord and say, I need you to give me a new heart because my heart is screwed up. Here the Lord says, look, I know you guys are knuckleheads. He's talking to his people. I've, the Lord had been with them from Genesis. We're all the way in Ezekiel. It's been a long time. And the Lord is like, look, I pretty much have this all worked out. You're not ever going to do it. You're never going to be able to meet the requirements. I have to give you a new heart and I have to put my spirit in you. How were the Old Testament saints saved? Same way you and I are. By faith and trust in a holy God that changed their heart and put his spirit in them. He's saying, look, I'm going I'm to give you a new heart and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh. Jeremiah wrote about this, Jeremiah 31. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant I made with her fathers on the day I took them by the hand and brought them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant, which they broke. Though I was their husband, this is how the Lord describes his relationship even with us. Though I was their husband, declares the Lord, for this is a covenant I will make in those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law in them. I will write it on their heart. I will be their God. They will be my people. No more will anyone say, teach his neighbor and his brother, know the Lord, for they will all know me from the greatest to the least, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. What's the Lord saying in Ezekiel? I'm going to make you clean. I'm going to give you a new heart. Verse 27, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. I'm going to give you what you need in order to be able to walk the walk God is calling us to. We're going to be able to walk in faithful commitment to the word of God because of the spirit of God. It's everywhere throughout the prophets. Ezekiel talks about this. Isaiah talks about this. Joel talks about this. Paul talked about this in the New Testament. He goes on in verse 28. And you shall dwell in the land that I gave your fathers. And you shall be my people and I will be your God. And I will deliver you from all your uncleanness. And I will summon the grain and make it abundant. I will lay no famine on you. I will make the fruit of the tree and the increase of the field abundant that you may never again suffer the disgrace of famine among the nations. Now as the Lord is describing this, he is not describing the history of Israel after the exile. He is describing the kingdom of God. Where does this happen? It happens in his kingdom. The kingdom of men, that's not going to be that way. The kingdom of Christ. When they will beat their swords into plowshares and they will study war no more. Because the king 
has come. This is what he's referring to. Your, your sins will be forgiven. Your deeds, they'll be, they'll be handled. Your evil ways and your deeds that were not good. And you will, or he says, verse 31, you will remember your evil ways, your deeds that were not good. And you will loathe yourself for your iniquity, your abominations. You will think about the things you've done in the past. It is not for your sake that I will act, declares the Lord. Let that be known. Be ashamed and confounded in your ways. Thus says the Lord God, on the day that I cleanse you from your iniquity, I will cause the cities to be inhabited, waste places to be built. The land that was desolate will be tilled. Instead of being desolation uh, that was in the sight of all who passed by, and they will say, this land was desolate, has become like the Garden of Eden. They don't say that yet. It's not like the Garden of Eden. Now, they produce a lot in Israel, for sure. But it's not the Garden of Eden. And you go to the Dead Sea, and the Dead Sea is dropping into the earth. Giant holes are opening up and swallowing hotels. A hotel I stayed in once is now in the bottom of a sinkhole. Doesn't sound like paradise. Through some of those sinkholes, fresh water is coming up in the Dead Sea, and it has life in it. If you've paid attention to Ezekiel, you'll, you'll realize this is, this is not a fulfillment. This is a sneak preview of a day when it will be healed. But this is all speaking of that day when we see Jesus Christ as king. And we'll see that as we go on in 37 and 38, right? He says, it's not about you. It's not for you. It's not because of you. Thus says the Lord God on the day that I cleanse your iniquities. It's not about you the lord is saying it's about me this is something i will do verse 36 then the nations that are left all around you will know i'm the lord for i have rebuilt the ruined places replanted that which was desolate and i just want you to think that they are going to come back from the exile and then christ is going to come and then jesus is going to say that your enemies are going to surround you and they're going to tear down the walls and they won't leave one stone upon another and then the whole nation 70 a.d the whole nation is destroyed again the temple destroyed there's no nation till 1948 but the problem is when god says his people return they're going to acknowledge him as lord that ain't happened so I know a lot of people want to say, well, 1948, they came in. This generation will not pass away. I'm not one of those guys. Sorry. I say that what they're talking about is the destruction of, of Israel, and there will be a day when the, Lord, when the Lord brings that back. And when he does, the nations will all know, look what the Lord has rebuilt. There are a lot of people that will, that will point to, and we're going to talk about the Valley of Dry Bones in the upcoming weeks and the Gog-Magog invasion. And when I look at that, I see God's final defeat of evil. I, I see the Battle of Armageddon. I see the battle written in, in Revelation chapter 20. I see the once and for all time that the king will return and set all things right. And then every nation's going to know. They'll know. Just like Paul wrote in Philippians, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. He is Lord. And this, so he's saying, look, this is, this is going to happen. The nations will know when I've replanted all the, the broken down places, when the whole place is rebuilt. This also I will let the house of Israel ask me to do for them. 
I will increase their people like a flock, like the flock for sacrifices, like the flock at Jerusalem during her appointed feast, so shall the way cities be filled with flocks of people. And then they will know I am the Lord. So the Lord, when the Lord does this, they will know. When 5,000 people came back to the city, that's not flocks. Like at the appointed feast. The Bible talks about the appointed feast, Jerusalem swelling, some would say, as much as a million people in those days. That's a lot. The Lord says, it's going to be like that everywhere, and everyone's going to know I'm the Lord, because I will have restored what has been taken. And the righteous are still under the boot of the wicked. But there will be a day when the Lord will deliver the righteous, establish his kingdom, and God's people will praise and the nations will know he is Lord. Amen? Won't you stand with me? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this time that we can study the book of Ezekiel, God, and I do pray that we grow to just understand, Lord, the things that you are showing us, Lord, that we can comprehend with all the saints what is the height, breadth, width, and depth of the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord, that we can know, Lord, the things that you're doing and how you're doing them, that we would know in our time today as we read the words of Ezekiel, that we would say, okay, so the Lord promised that he was able to deliver his people even in the worst circumstances they had ever been in. Lord, may we know no matter what our circumstances, God is able to deliver, that he is still the judge, our sovereign king, and that I have bowed the knee so whatever, he, whatever path he brings me on, whatever journey he leads me through, I choose, like Joshua those many years ago, to make the declaration, you have to choose who you will serve. But as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord no matter what it costs. And I will lift my eyes and look forward to the day when the king returns and we give him praise in Jesus name.